welcome to the At Ramsey Heights podcast, your source for all of our audio messages at Ramsey Heights Baptist Church in Batesville, Arkansas. This is Pastor Brian Coates, and I hope this encouragement from God's Word connects with you and helps guide you through your next steps on your journey with God. Enjoy today's message. Well, if you've got your Bibles with you, and I hope you do, we will be in Genesis chapter 2 this morning. While you're turning there, just let me tell you all some stories here. So uh, about three weeks ago, Jessica and I celebrated our five-year wedding anniversary. And you can cheer for Jessica if you want to, because can you imagine having to live with this for five years? But uh, I want to tell you this story, because this was really cool. We took off, and we went um, to a cabin. It was actually the cabin that we honeymooned in off in Jasper. And we just took a couple of nights and went away and just just celebrated uh, our wedding and our anniversary in that way. But what was so cool about this, and some of you know what happened, what was so cool about this is March 11th, this was two, three Fridays ago, math, I can't do it, this was a few weeks ago, it snowed. Now, some of you don't know why that's important, but some of you were here the day that Jessica and I got married in this church, and, and you remember what happened on our wedding day. It snowed. So not only did we get to go back to our honeymoon cabin and experience, um, experience that cabin again for a five-year anniversary, we got to do so in the exact same weather conditions as what our wedding was in, which was not really the funnest thing in the world. Because we were all thinking like, spring wedding, March, it'll be flowers and green, and we'll get to spend some time outside, and that's what we'll do. And, and then we're sitting here, and, and we get married, and we're back in the, hall, in the gym, and the wedding reception, and you can just hear the sleet hitting the roof. I don't know if you guys have ever been in here when it rains it snows it sounds like static and so that day of our wedding Jessica and I we, we stayed back there and like we were loving everybody and we were excited for the, all the people and celebrating and but the more and more the more and more like we kept hearing that sound is like we gotta go like this roads are gonna get bad it, it's gonna get kind of bad out there so we left a little bit early because we were headed off to Jasper now if you don't know where Jasper is you go from here to Mountain View from Mountain View to Leslie from Leslie to Harrison and from Harrison to Jasper and those are rough roads roads, especially in the snow. But I didn't care. I don't mean to be personal here. I was going on that honeymoon, guys. I, I was 29 years old. Jessica and I had been waiting for three, or had been married, or dating for three and a half years. I had waited my turn. We were going to that cabin. And, and so we took off on the road, even though it was ill-advised. When we left here, it was snowing. It's like, oh, it's kind of pretty. And by the time we got to Mountain View, the roads were getting white. And so I started doing like this mental math, like, are we going to die? And, and here's what I convinced myself of. We're traveling west, and Arkansas weather travels from west to east, so surely we're going to pass the storm like this. So I told Jessica, we're going to keep going. And we got off on the roads in between Mountain View and Leslie, and we got about halfway up through there. If you guys don't know those roads, they were, they were paved by a drunk person. I don't know what the deal was. I mean, they're up the hill, down the hill, left, right. We got halfway in the middle, and I realized I had messed up. Four inches of snow, and we were in a 2008 PT Cruiser. If you don't know what that is, it is routinely on the list of the worst cars ever made. And we're in the middle of nowhere in this, and I'm, I'm looking at our options, like, like what are we going to do? Well, we can turn around and go back to Mountain View, but I don't think we can live long enough to make it to Mountain View on these roads. Well, we can keep going, but as you go down the road from Leslie, there's this huge mountain. I'm like, there's no way. It's going to be like a bobsled going down that hill. We're going to die. And I tell you that story because what I found at that time on our wedding day 
I found that we were in something called a dilemma. That's a real fancy word for there's no right answer. I would have called it a conundrum, but I can't spell conundrum for our graphics. So it's a dilemma. So we were in this dilemma. We didn't know exactly how to get ourselves out. There's this old saying that you're in between a rock and a hard place and you can't save yourself. And the point of this series that we're in is you and I as humans... We are in a dilemma together. We're in something called a sin dilemma where, where we can't fix ourselves. We can't save ourselves. There's no right answer. As humans, we are stuck in between a rock and a hard place because of our sin. So over the next three weeks, moving on to Easter, we will be looking at why are we in this sin dilemma and what is the answer? That's our Easter series and studying how did God get us out of this. And we're going to start today in Genesis chapter 2. If you're not familiar with Genesis, Genesis chapter 2 is the basic end of the creation story where God speaks the whole earth into existence. He makes Adam and Eve. And then there is some instruction given here in Genesis chapter 2. So if you've got your Bibles with you, this is chapter 2, verses 15 through 17. And the Lord took the man, that's Adam, and put him in the garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. And the Lord commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat. But of the tree of knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day that thou eatest thereof thou shalt surely die. So this story takes place in a place called the, what we call the Garden of Eden. Eden is a word that we have not translated, but if you did translate it, it literally means the place of pleasure. So we have the first humans that God created, Adam and Eve, a married couple living in this place of pleasure, a place with happiness, harmony, a place where they had purpose and a meaning, a, peace, a place of peace and pleasure. And so in this garden, there were lots of trees that would sustain them, and they were given a job. You guys just Dress this. You guys keep a hold of it. Ladies, you know why your men must always mow grass and they must always plant things and it's like really big for them? God put it in us that we should be working and taking care of bushes and trees and grass and stuff like that. So I've always tried to wonder, like, what does the Garden of Eden look like? Because we can't go there. We can't see what God had for us. But I, I try to think of what does the world look like when there is no human interaction? When, when we don't come in and mess it up, what does it look like? Uh, I've got a picture for you guys coming up here. Just if you need a mental picture to think about where Adam and Eve are living. Uh, this is in Yosemite National Park in California. If you've ever been there, it's absolutely gorgeous. Of all the places I've been, I think it's the prettiest. That waterfall in the back, the tallest waterfall in North America, it's a little over 1,200 feet tall. Absolutely gorgeous. And when you're there, there's animals roaming around, there's grass growing, there's trees growing. It's just beautiful and it's peaceful and it's untouched and it's not messed up. And that's what Adam and Eve lived in. And in this whole place, God said that everything here is for you guys. There's abundant food, there's trees, there's shelter, there's everything you need. Everything is here for you except for one tree. Only one. You can have all the other trees, you can eat of everything that you want. But in this garden, one tree, probably in the middle, that you're not supposed to eat of. And this tree has this name called uh, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. God could have made that a little bit easier for us, couldn't he? Like, we go over to people's house, and what kind of tree is that? An oak tree. What about that one? That's a sweet gum tree. What about that one? That's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Like, we, we, we don't see that very often. So this name kind of gives us like this ominous feel because of the way that the Bible describes this tree. And because the creation story is so foreign to us, I think a lot of times as Christians, we look at the uh, creation story like it's a fairy tale. 
Like we look at this like it's a Disney movie. There's this tree, it glows and all of this kind of things. It has some kind of a magical power, but the Bible does not lay that out for this tree. I think that the name of the tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, is simply just the definition of the tree. I don't think there's anything special about it except for God set it aside. Because when you eat of this, you will know evil. That's what God says. You will know what evil is because you have disobeyed God. So all this tree does is it gives humankind an opportunity to know what it is to disobey God. And then you have a frame of reference where you compare that of the good you once knew before you knew evil, if that makes sense. So God gives them this command, don't eat the tree. And we as humans are given a very simple, don't eat the tree, don't eat the fruit off the tree. This is like a beaver or something. So we're given this example or this choice of what to do. Humans can obey God or they can disobey God. You can do one or the other. If you disobey God, this is sin. You have a knowledge of evil. If not, you're good. And God also lays out there that there are consequences. If you disobey God, if you eat of this tree, you will surely die. Now, I love the wording here, something I've never noticed as I've studied. I, I studied this week and I noticed. God said this to Adam and Eve. It says, if you eat of the tree in that day, you will die. Now, to me, that sounds rather instant, right? Like, I take the fruit off the tree, I eat it, and I fall over dead. But if you know the story, you know that's not what happened to Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve probably lived between seven and 800 years before they saw this death that they were promised. So I point that out because I'm going to come back to it. Just hang on to that for a little bit. We'll be back to it in a minute. So the story lays it out this way. God gives a command, do not eat the tree. Humans have a choice. You can obey or you cannot obey. And there are consequences for not obeying. And the tree is left in the garden. And so this is going to begin to introduce us to something that we like to call sin. And sin is a topic that's very simple and yet very complex like many things in the Bible. And we spend a lot of time as Christians trying to define the word sin. And you've probably heard a lot of these. The, the way I always heard it taught is sin is an archery term that means to miss the mark or to be imperfect. Maybe we define this with some theological setting that sin is disobeying God or going your own way, something like that. I don't know. I think we spend too much time trying to come up with a definition of it, though, and not enough time trying to assess what is the character of sin. Think about the difference between defining something and assessing the character of it. Like when people ask me about my wife, people don't go, you know, hey, Brian, tell me about Jessica, five foot four, Jessica Lee Huffman, uh, blonde hair. You know, like we, like we don't define people. When people ask me about my wife, I say, oh, my wife, she's awesome. She's a kindergarten teacher. She loves the Lord. She serves. Like we define the character of people. And so as we look at sin this morning, I'm not giving you a list of what are sins, what are not sins. I'm not giving you a definition of sin. What I want you to know and what I want us as a church to know is what is the character of sin? So, number one, if you've got your uh, outline and they're filling it out, number one, sin is disobeying God's commands. God gave Adam and Eve a clear instruction not to do something. And we know come going forward that Adam and Eve are going to do it their way. If you want a simple definition of sin, I think that's it. It's when God says, this is my way, and then you make your own way and you do it that way. Uh, when I was little, um, I grew up in a... Uh, I grew up in a rough situation. I, I, didn't, I didn't feel like I was loved enough as a child. When I was little, I wanted to be a cowboy. It was really, really important. I, I had the boots, I had the guns, I had the hat, I had everything. I had everything except for the one thing a cowboy needs. That's a horse. And these people wouldn't buy me a horse. We had a farm and everything. No horses, not allowed. 
And so I wanted a horse so bad. And, and I, finally, I finally struck this bargain with my family. I had an uncle who had some donkeys that he was selling. So I was like, I want a donkey. They're cheap. That's like, I'll, I'll have something to ride. I can be a cowboy and a donkey. Maybe I'll be like one of those cool movie characters that doesn't ride the big, beautiful horse and just come riding into town on a donkey. So I, I got this donkey and my grandpa made a harness for me and I, I would ride this thing all over the place. I, I use that roughly. I would sit on this thing while it walked all over the place. Uh, you guys know how horses or donkeys are supposed to do. Like, like you pull to one side and they're supposed to go where you tell them. No, this, this thing had a mind of its own. I would give it instruction, go right. It would go left. I would tell it to stop. It would buck me off. Like there, there's no way that I was getting what I wanted out of it. And as humans, that is what we at our core and in our nature, we often do. God gives us instructions. Go left. We'll go right. God says, hey, stop there. And we'll just jump across that line that he said to stop at. And, and that is sin when we disobey God taking our own path. The second thing we see about the character of sin in your outline is that it comes with consequences. God gave Adam and Eve a choice. You may obey or you may disobey. That is up to you. But understand, if you disobey, here is the cost. Here is the consequences. Now, when we think of consequences, we often think of negative consequences, right? We, we, think, of, we think of punishment, right? Because that's how we treat our kids. Like, if you disrespect me again, there will be consequences. But consequences can be good or they can be bad. If you get up tomorrow and you go to work, the good consequence of that is you should get a paycheck. If you don't, you should probably quit that job. But if on the other, chance, or on the other hand you say, no, um, I'm going to rob a bank, the consequence of that is you should go to jail. And so uh, God tells them, like, just understand that within your actions, you will die. That is the consequence of disobeying me. Now, death is not really explained yet, but it will be later. If you've still got your Bibles open, let's continue in the story. Let's skip on down to chapter 3, and let's see what happens with this instruction, this command. So this is verse 1. Now the serpent, serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, You shall not eat of every tree in the garden? And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of all the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God hath, God hath said, Ye shall not eat it, neither shall ye touch it, lest you die. And the serpent said unto the woman, You shall not surely die. For God doth know that in the day you eat thereof, then your eyes will be opened, shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good from evil. So have to keep your Bibles open. We're coming back to that here in just a second. So Adam and Eve are in this, this garden, this place of pleasure. There's one tree in which God says you can eat of everything. Leave that tree alone. You have a choice. Obey me or disobey me. And now in chapter three, we're introduced to a new character. We're introduced to the snake. Now, this snake is scary because snakes just are scary. So I just want to go ahead and address this, a deep biblical theological truth. There's two kinds of people in the world. People who are scared of spiders and people who are scared of snakes. And if you're scared of spiders, get over it. Hit it with a flip-flop. It's going to be okay. But being scared of snakes is a deep biblical theological view. Look, 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 at what this, look at what this snake does. The snake comes and it slithers up or walks up to Eve and it starts talking to her. Now, if snakes aren't bad enough as it is, one is talking. Also be warned, if a snake ever talks to you, run away, okay? So the snake comes up and it is talking to Eve. And what bothers me about this story is Eve is not bothered by this. She's just sitting there and a snake comes up to her and like, what are you doing? I'm sitting here. Like, what's wrong with Eve? So for future reference, I feel like y'all need to know Eve apparently didn't. 
Now, when we talk about the snake, what I want to do is go a little bit deeper because the creation story says snake. But later in the Bible, it is unequivocally um, attributed to Satan to do this. Satan is the snake. You can look at that three different ways. Maybe he possessed the snake. Maybe he appeared as a snake. I don't know, but Revelation and several other places are very clear that the, sa- the snake, the serpent in this book, was Satan. And Satan comes to Eve with one mission. Get Eve to disobey God. And that's what Satan still does to this day. So I want to look at how does he do it? How does sin get us to disobey God? Sin always comes with temptation. That's what, that's what the snake says to Eve. He tempts her. So I thought about describing temptation this way. Um, somewhere in this room, I don't know who you are. Somebody in here is, you're on a diet. It's not me. I don't believe in diets. And I just want you to know that we support you in that. Like you should diet. You should be healthy. But uh, Oreos are really good. Don't worry, you're not missing too much. They're just really, really good. If you want one, I'm going to be in the foyer after church handing these out. So if you're on a diet, don't come see me, but come see me. Like That's, that's what Satan does. Put that there so I don't put it back in there with all the Oreos. That's what Satan does with Eve. He tempts her with something that she should not have. He uses a bait. I did need some milk. I shouldn't have done that. He uses a bait to get Eve to make a bad choice, just like I'm going to pass out Oreos as soon as we get out of here because I think it's funny. So this is what Satan does. Satan uses bait to tempt us to sin. He loves it. He's a master of it. And I love in this story with Eve, I love what it tells us about how he does it. God gave us Satan's playbook. Do you know that? When we talk about Satan, this evil creature that we're scared of, God put his playbook in the Bible so we could identify what he is going to do and we could resist it. And this is what bait Satan uses. He lies to Eve. Lie number one, he tells Eve, is you will not die. The second lie that uh, Satan uses here is God knows you will be like him. So here's Satan's playbook. Number one, contradict God. Uh, number two, question God's motives. You notice he gives no evidence that God is trying to keep Eve from being good, that God is trying to keep Eve from being like him. He just says, God doesn't really want you to be like him. That's why you can't eat the tree. And then three, he promises something to Adam and Eve that he cannot deliver. Satan cannot give you anything. Sin cannot give you anything. It can only steal from you. And what he promised Adam and Eve is he promised them, you will be like God's. And what is so amazing about that is Adam and Eve were already like God. They were made in the image of God. They didn't need that, but yet Satan tempted them with that. And this is how Satan still works in the world today. He tempts us with the same kind of bait. He will come out and he will contradict God. God says very clearly, right and wrong. God says very clearly, sin and God's path. And Satan will come out and go, yeah, is it really wrong? Aren't you sure that, you know, that was written like 4,000 years ago in the Bible? Is marriage really between a man and woman? Is that really what God meant? Surely that's not right. Surely, surely that's wrong. And so Satan will contradict you. Our third point, sin challenges absolute truth. Sin will challenge absolute truth. And just so you know, we don't have time to go real deep into why and how, but I want you to know, as a Christian, your absolute truth is this book right here. This is the truth, not a truth, not one of the truths. This is the only truth. And when Satan comes to us, he challenges that absolute truth. And then 
he will begin to question God's goodness. I think everybody in here at one point has felt a little down about it. I'm trying to do things God's way, but I feel like I'm missing out. I could be out with those people. I could be doing those things, but, but, but I'm missing out. And I've even heard people say, well, God just doesn't want us to have fun. God's trying to steal something wonderful from us. That is another of Satan's lies from his playbook. So number four on your, on your um, outline, sin is a result of questioning God's goodness. Satan came to Eve and he said, God, he's trying to hide something from you. He's trying to keep something from you. And when you look at sin that way, when sin questions absolute truth and sin questions God's goodness, when you look at those two things, that makes sin a bigger deal than what we think of. Because usually when we present sin, we present sin as a list of rules. Don't do this, do that. Do it this way, not that way. And to be honest with you, we've all sped. Like rules, rules don't really apply to us. Really getting caught breaking the rules is what bothers us. And so when we present sin as a list of rules, it minimizes what sin is. But when I tell you that when you sin, not just the big ones that you're thinking of of everybody else, your personal sin is a result of something in your heart that questions the goodness of God. It questions who God is. And when you look at sin that way, suddenly you know why sin is such a big deal to God. It's personal to God. It's just like any of us. What if somebody questioned our character? You're at work and you have a new coworker, a young person, and, and you're pouring into them. You're trying to help them out. You're, you're doing your work and you're doing half of their work because you're trying to show them the ropes and you think you're doing something good from the bottom of your heart. You're trying to help those people and, and you walk past the break room and you hear them talking to other people and you hear them saying about you, yeah, I know people like Brian. Brian pretends to want to help you so they can use you later. Like that, that's personal to me if you say that about me. Within a marriage, when you've done everything you can to love and serve your spouse the way that God has called you to, and you pick up their phone one day and you see a text message and you say, it says something to the effect of, yeah, yeah, Brian never loved me. They never actually loved me. This was always a marriage of convenience for them. That's personal to you. And when we sin to God and we say, I don't know if God really knows what he's talking about with right and wrong. I don't know if God really has my best interest at heart. We attack his very character and that is personal to him. We're saying, uh, we don't believe that you are who you say you are. Uh, I don't believe that you are telling the truth when you say you know what is best for me. At the very core of it, we say to God, I don't believe that you are good. That's a big deal when you take the God of the universe and in your heart, you say, I don't believe that you are good. But that's what sin is. That's the character of sin. I had a close friend who's not a Christian. And I love God conversations with my friends who aren't Christians. Because I'm trying my best to give them the gospel. I'm trying to love them to Christ. And this one time we were talking and my friend came at me. He said, okay, well, I understand all of what you're saying. He said, but you've got to answer one question for me. He said, why would a good and loving God blah, blah, blah. Why would a good and loving, and it doesn't matter what you add to that. Why would a good and loving God send people to hell? Why would a good and loving God let Hitler roam the earth? Why would a good and loving God let cancer be here? You, you notice what's in that question. It's not a denial. It's not a denial of God's existence. It's not even a denial of what's right and wrong. It is a denial of God's character. When we say, I can't believe that God is good in my broken, sinful state. I can't believe that God is good because of this and that in this world. And listen, when you take a person or when you take God 
and you make it your life's work to question their character, you cannot live in harmony with someone you question their character. And you cannot enjoy eternity forever with a God who you question his character. Let's continue reading here in chapter 3 if you've still got your Bibles open. This will be verses 6 through 8. So uh, the serpent has come. He has tempted Eve. He has lied to her. He has said to her that God is hiding something from her and that he has lied to her about the consequences. Verse 6. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was pleasant to the eyes and that the tree and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat and gave also unto her husband with her and he did eat. And the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. And they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord, God, uh, Lord God, amongst the, amongst the trees of the garden. So we see here in this story that Eve takes the bait. Eve knew better. She argued with Satan, but she takes the bait. She says, okay, I believe the lie that God is not good. I believe he's trying to hide something from me. I believe that, that there is a better way to go than God's way. And in that choice, she goes wrong. And the reason for that is that she sees the tree and it tells us she sees that the tree was good for food and it was desirable to make one wise. And then what does she do immediately after eating it? She goes and finds Adam. So the next thing that we see about the character of sin, number five on your outline, is sin is appeasing to our sense of self. What Eve was tempted with was not the fruit. The fruit meant nothing to her. What Eve was tempted with was what she was told the fruit would do. She was told that sin, that disobeying God, would put you on equal terms with God. That you would get to be like God, knowing good from evil. That means picking right and wrong. And isn't that the core of all sin in our, in our society? That, that we want to choose our own morality. I want to choose my own morality. I want to minimize sins that are hard for me to overcome. And I want to make sins that are easy for me really big deals. But that's the way humans do it. And in our world, if you look at anybody, what you will see is that this world is telling you, you can choose what is moral and what is immoral. There is no absolute set of morality in our world. And if you challenge that in today's world, if you go up to someone who is still broken in their sin and you challenge their morality and say, you should not do that or you should not support this or you should not believe that, they will crucify you for being hateful, for being judgmental, for, for being dumb. Because at the base of our society, at the base of who we are as humans, we want to define morality. We want God's job. Number six that we see on our outline is that sin demands companions in sin. What was Eve's first reaction? Eve eats the fruit. The very first thing she does after eating the fruit is she goes and tracks down her husband, Adam. And she goes and tries to share this with him. And this is true today. This is how sin works. Is it demands that we find companions in our sin. When I was younger in college, um, my friends, I, we all lived in the same place about the time we turned 21. Just full disclosure, I don't drink. I never have. Uh, that's a different sermon for a different time. I just have never been um, tempted by that. That's not something that ever appealed to me, moral stuff aside. But all my friends did, and I lived with them, so I had a lot of exposure to alcohol culture, including the parties that they wanted to go to. And so from time to time, I would be tired of sitting in the house by myself, and I'd be like, I'll go with you. I mean, I don't want to drink, but I'll go to the party with you. 
And I'd go and I'd hang out and I'd talk to people and I'd get to know people. And it would never fail that before the night was over, somebody would come up and go, man, you don't have a drink. I, that's, I, I don't want one. I'm good. And it would bother them so much. No, let me go get you a drink. No, seriously, I'm good. I don't want one. It would get to the point where people I knew would have to rescue me because it bothered people so bad that somebody was there not doing the same thing that they were. I wasn't running around with a Bible like, you shall not drink alcohol. I just was not drinking. And yet there was this huge push from people. This bothered them. And you will see this in any part, any part of sin in your life, that sinful lifestyles will demand sinful um, uh, companionship. Because if I do it, I want others to do it. That's why when we gossip, that's my sin. That's the one that I fail at. When, when we feel like we need to gossip about someone and tell stories about them, when we feel like we need to share the dirt on somebody, that's why it hurts us so bad when somebody walks away. That's why people say, you're judging me. That's why when we spend our lives chasing money and we see others that don't, they make us uncomfortable. That's why when we hate people, that's why when people hate people, they cannot stand that you don't hate them as well. Find a Democrat or a Republican and just disagree with them about politics. Find a racist person and disagree with them about who they hate. They will hate you as well. Why is that? Because sin demands uh, sinful companionship. And the reason for that is, is when I'm in sin, I know I'm broken. And it makes me comfortable to look at others and say, I can't be that bad. Everybody else is doing it. But in truth, in truth, we all know in our sin, there's this uneasiness about our brokenness. And all it takes is one little ray of good in the world. And it makes us feel guilty. And we don't like that. And this is why it is so important for us to have godly relationships. Because your sin will pull others down. Whatever your sin is, everybody has sins that they are, that they are uh, weak in. I do, you do, we all do. Your sin will pull others down, but other people's sins will pull you down as well. And that's why we talk about how important the church is. Because you need people who will fight your sin with you. And people here need you to help them fight their sin. And we need to go to war against our sin together, not pulling each other down, but picking each other up. And that's why I tell you, I'm so thankful that you're here on a Sunday morning. But you don't just need to be in the building. You need to be connected to other people in the building because we're here to build each other up. So with all of this that's going on, we've looked at, at this character of sin. Now let's look at the effects of sin and what happens. So this promised consequence was death. And we see immediately after eating the fruit, what happened? Adam and Eve find themselves naked and they cover themselves. This is a new consideration that apparently Adam and Eve had never dealt with. They had never dealt with the concept of my body. And should I cover it? They just walked around without clothes all the time. But when sin entered the world, they immediately covered themselves. And I think most of the time, when we think of that, we think of what we would think of like, you know, oh, somebody might look at something they shouldn't look at. But I think it goes deeper than that. Adam and Eve lived in a world before sin where they never worried about what gravity was going to do to their body. Adam and Eve lived in a world where they never looked in a mirror and said, my belly is too big or my thighs jiggle when I walk. Adam and Eve never dealt with that kind of body shame until the moment that they uh, sinned. And what you see is all of a sudden they look at themselves and they're embarrassed of who they are and what they look like. So number seven on your outline, sin brings shame into our lives. See, each of us is deeply shamed by our imperfections. You see that in body image in our society? 
People are ashamed of their bodies. Uh, you see that in who we are in the way that, that we hide from each other. Every last one of us is hiding something this morning. You're scared if you walk in here and you're yourself and you're just open and honest about a sin that you struggle with or something that you like or something that you have done. You're scared that people won't like you. So what do you do? You've got those things that you've got locked away somewhere in a cage of never going to let anybody know. Never going to let anybody in because we're scared and we're ashamed of who we are and we hide ourselves from each other. And this hiding from each other comes with an extra side effect that it causes us to hide from God. Number eight on your outline is that sin separates us from God. Adam and Eve realized they covered themselves with, they covered their bodies with leaves and they realized, oh no, God's going to be here. We got to hide. We don't want him to see us. We don't want him to find us today. And I love what it says about God is God comes walking through the garden. He's just on a neighborhood stroll. God doesn't come charging in with thunder and lightning and say, ah, where's the sinners? God's just walking in the garden. It's like a neighbor that just comes over to visit. That same group of guys I lived with a long time ago, we were uh, all living together in um, an apartment complex. There were four apartments in this apartment complex. Me and my buddies owned four of them. And so this was like a neighborhood. It's like a communist neighborhood. Like we would just go to each other's house all the time and wake up and somebody's in your house cooking breakfast or they're using your washer and dryer. People go to work and you go to their house and play video games in their house. We just did that all of the time. We were so comfortable with our relationship that I could walk into your house at any time and be like, hey, you need to put some clothes on because I'm going to sit on the couch for a little while. And when you, look at, when you look at Adam and Eve and God's relationship before sin, that's what God's doing. He just, he just strolls into their house. He just strolls into the garden to come see them. That's how close that they were to God. But now he comes and he finds them hiding because their sin has separated them from God. Now I ask you a question. I ask you to hold on to one thing at the beginning of the message today. And that was this, is God said, in that day, you will surely die. I ask you to hang on to that. So, so we're going to go back to that. So what does it mean that in the day that they sin, they will surely die? I think for us, when we think of death, we think of when they bury our body. But the truth is, is we live in death every single day that we're apart from God. What you see in Adam and Eve's reaction is death. Death is separation from God. Death is trying to appease ourselves with sin. Death is living in shame. Death is searching for sinful companionship we will never find. See, death, in a very simple sense, is only what? It's when we're separated from life, when life has been taken from us. And Jesus Christ came here and he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. See, death is separation from God and separation from his goodness. And so you and I, we live in a current spiritual death. We, we all owe a physical death. And then there can be a spiritual death after that. But in this world, we live in a spiritual death today. And this is our dilemma. We live with the characteristics of skin governing our life forever. And there's no way out. There's no way for us to fix it. Let me finish that story about the, the snow day, the day that Jessica and I got married. We're on that road, and I'm scared. I've got these, these things going through my head. Number one, I'm not going to make it to my honeymoon. God is a very cruel God, if that's true. Number two, I've seen headlines in the newspaper. Newly married couple found dead on the side of the road after wrecking in the snow. Like, I was really, I was really scared. I wasn't telling Jessica that, and I still haven't told her that. I was terrified. And, and so, you know what we did? Knowing that I, I couldn't 
get anywhere safely knowing where I was at, Jessica and I grabbed hands and, and we called out to God. I tell people I spent the first eight hours of my marriage praying because we did. We prayed, y'all. We cried out to God because what we knew is in our dilemma, we couldn't save ourselves. And in our sin dilemma, we cannot save ourselves. And that's why we get to call out to God. See, from the point of the story that I stopped at going forward, if you will read your Bible, the entire Bible is God undoing what we had just done. And if you follow this down, 4,000 years after we sent, we see the arrival of Jesus. And Jesus comes here not because he has to. He comes here to save us from this dilemma. And Jesus experienced death on a cross to give you and me life. And he gives us this offer. You don't have to live separated from God anymore. You don't have to live with the shame of your sin. Guys, you don't have to hide that. That sin has been paid for by God. You don't have to live your life pursuing companionship of, friendful sin, of, of sinful friendships. Now, the only thing that you have to do, the only part that you and I have to do, we can be delivered from spiritual death, is called faith. And I've always struggled with faith and what faith means. And as I studied this week, I really, I really understood it in a new way for the first time. I really understood what faith is for the first time. We, we tend to say faith is believing that God exists. We say that faith is, is following God. No, no, I know what faith is. Faith is the exact inverse, the exact opposite of sin. Because what sin says is, God, I don't believe you are who you say you are. And so I choose to live my life my way. And all faith says to God is, I believe that you are who you say you are. And God, so I choose to live my life your way. And today you can walk out of here free from death. That, that's all it takes is faith that says, I believe you are who you say you are. And I choose to live my life your way. If you've struggled with that and you don't know what real faith looks like, you don't know how to have faith, you, you don't know what your next step is, today is the day. Don't leave here the same as you walked in. Come up here and pray, give something to God. I would love to pray with you and explain faith a little deeper if you would love for me to. But don't leave here the same. Let's stand and sing, please.